All right, Zig coming in on the top 10 of the show. We have Vinny Dombrowski, singer, songwriter, drummer for a plethora of projects, some of which are, no, we're going to hit them all, Crud, Diamond Bucket, The Lucid, The Orbinsons, Son of the Prediction, Spies for Darwin, The Mary Pops, Scarecroppers of Soul, Loud House, Warp Drive, Plain View, you, and most notably, the band Sponge. Sponge has a new record out. It's called Lavatorium, put out by Cleopatra Records, available now on all streaming platforms. Sponge is hitting the road. They got a lot of tour dates. There's one date in particular I'm a little biased of, and that's September 1st at the Winchester in Lakewood, Ohio. And the reason I'm a little more biased towards that is because my band, C-Level, letter C-Level, is opening for Sponge. We are a high-energy funk-punk reggae rock group that takes 12-string acoustic guitars and runs them through Marshall amplifiers. So if you enjoy any of this banter between me and Vinny, you're like, I bet he might be okay and I really want to see Sponge. September 1st at the Winchester in Lakewood, Ohio is the place to be. Tickets linked below. So this conversation was a return to form for the Zig at the Gig podcast. And what I mean by that is I used to do these podcasts in my van at the gig before the gig. And that's what happened during this conversation. I was chatting with Vinny in the van. Um, Vinny's so cool, man. He was such a cool guy. He was very generous with his time and had a lot of wise words. And got to admire not only someone who writes music that cool and that good, but someone who keeps doing that. In the mill, like all those projects I listed at the beginning, it's a lot to manage, but also a lot just to try to do and do, you know? So this was a really cool conversation, and I'm excited to share it with you guys. A few things I got to plug at the beginning before uh, before we get to that. My band, C-Level, letter C-Level, has a couple cool gigs coming up. In October, on the 7th, we are opening up for MSSV, which features Mike Watt from the Minutemen at the Beachland Tavern. Also, October 19th, at the Grog Shop, we are opening for the band Pacifier. And if you can like, rate, review, subscribe to the podcast and any of the podcast platforms, it helps me keep talking to cool guests like Vinny. Um, once again, September 1st, the Winchester, Lakewood, Ohio, Sea Level, and Slim Ross and the Rumble opening up for Sponge. It's going to be an amazing night. Please come hang out with us. And here we go. Here's my conversation with Vinny. Okay, so to get into it, I wanted to ask about Loud House a little bit. Or even before that... I, I I did doing my research. You you kind of bring up a lot that the volume of music is really kind of what moved you in a way. And is that what got you into like drums? Um, I mean, I just initially started uh, having an interest in drums when I was uh, you know just a kid. My dad took me to a concert and. The drumming was so uh, powerful, and I thought, wow, that is pretty cool. And I'm talking, you know, third grade or something like that. So, yeah. um, and in Detroit, they had decent music programs in the schools at the time. So it was pretty easy to roll in and get into the band and be part of the orchestra and study snare drum and get a practice pad and then eventually get a couple drums and start playing the drum set and just start rolling from there. So, um, yeah, it was just the interest in the, uh, the power, the volume of the drums. Yeah. 
That's that's fascinating because like you grew up around guitars, right? My dad was a uh, guitar teacher. He also played bass, and uh, he played clubs uh, in the Detroit area uh, when we were young kids, uh, and, and and also taught in music stores as well. And um, so having a guitar around the house is a pretty common thing. So I, I would think it was almost simultaneous, you know, picking up some drumsticks, picking up a guitar. Um, and we'd get together with friends, and and certainly a lot of people were interested in uh, learning Beatles songs or Stairway to Heaven and things like this. We were more interested in writing our own songs. So uh, taking the guitar and certainly learning some chords, that, that's pretty cool. But ultimately, I think we always thought, well, geez, you know, Zeppelin, um, they pretty much write their own songs. Why don't we write our own songs? So being a cover band at the time never was a big interest to us. So the, having the guitar around was very handy to flush out uh, or flush out the ideas about writing and songs. Was your was your dad writing songs? Like, is this something that like you saw was more possible because of that? Or was it just like the, the greats aren't doing covers? You know, I... I wasn't aware my dad wrote songs. He may have written some stuff, but uh, I wasn't aware of it. But just to have that uh, guitar around the house was pretty, uh, pretty helpful. Yeah, no, that's that's a super welcoming music environment. Like when your dad's playing in gigs and and teaching, like that's awesome. And I think yeah. a lot of it is very uh, rhythm works on anything, you know. And writing a song can start from a groove or start from a chord progression um yeah yeah amen to that so uh with loud house which was a couple bands down the line um you guys you guys worked with george clinton george was in our video oddly enough for a song a remake of smoke on the water and it was an industrial remix uh for a song that we had recorded and uh, it was a latecomer to the record, and it was a real surprise to us. Anybody wanted to use it for a single. So it was, from what I recall, the only single released on the record. It was the only song that, um, that the label helped hmm. prop up a video. Because certainly we did, um, I recall doing a video for a song called Faith Farm. Not certain whether or not it got much push from um, Virgin at the time, but certainly Smoke on the Water. We had a, a obviously if we had George in the video. We had some kind of budget, so George appeared in that video. But George was um, part of the camp from the production company that we were involved with, and um, it was a studio out of Ferndale, Michigan, uh, called Fifty Four Sound. And uh, Joel Martin, who uh, we had signed a production deal with, also worked with George. And, of course, uh, Joel Martin went on to work with um, and break Eminem. So did did you guys get to, like, work with – was this all, like, through through the, the company that George was involved? Or did you get to, like, kind of pick his brain a little bit and, like, hang out with George Clinton? <laughs> you know you know it would have been great to hang out with george a little bit more george was kind enough to come and hang out with us uh during the making of the video that was uh that was way cool and we would run into george on occasion but 
um, it wasn't like uh, a regular thing to to run into George. Yeah, that's well, that's I, I can't you one I can't imagine it'd be a regular thing. That'd be a, a very interesting run in if you're always running. <laughs> but um, that's, oh, a special thing. <laughs> that's for sure. um, um, another thing I found. You guys went on tour with the Bad Brains. Well, I'm certain there were some dates that we would do. Uh, I definitely recall doing some dates with the Ramones uh, back in the early days of, of Loud House. And um, definitely would have made sense for us to do a date or two with Bad Brains. Um, but, yeah, we were out there doing just tons, anything we could possibly do. Uh, we would do, but didn't, that band did not do a ton of touring. Oddly enough, I recall going out to the West Coast to do some dates, and but a ton of one-offs. And us being in Detroit, you just drive five, six hours in any direction. You know, whether you're going to Chicago or Toronto or Cleveland or Finley or whatever, it's all kind of right there. So it was really easy for us to hop in a vehicle and get out and do one-offs. That's awesome, and it, I agree. It's a good, it's a good like uh, like Cleveland and Detroit. Like you, you're not far from Chicago. Like you're you're kind of in the epicenter of a lot of things. So it yeah, makes weekend warrior dashing is like possible, which is kind of awesome. <laughs> like totally. But uh, that's cool. So like, so even if it was a one off show, like, do you recall anything from playing with Bad Brains? You know, I just remember um, down the line going to see Jr. or yeah. Hr over at. Um, uh, St. Andrews Hall. Yeah. Back in that time period, which was always very cool. But that that group certainly was one of the seminal groups of the time. I think that it was such an interesting point in music with groups like Bad Brains and Jane's Addiction, uh, the Chili Peppers, or or uh, Helmets, or um, you know these bands seem to be just pretty important bands or the. Um, um the melvins you know yeah. these bands were just huge bands maybe not the you know, record sale hit bands that we understand hit songs and hit bands to be but just pretty musically important uh to the musical landscape at that time definitely definitely and the, well the founding fathers of of uh, founding people or fathers and mothers of a lot of bands that came after and like to be playing with like bad brains and the Ramones and like that's that's in it, man. That's that's so cool. And like with Loud House, one thing I really like diving into that record, it hits upon a lot of different things. It's like a blend of all these different sounds, but it's sure. it's uniquely itself. And like it seems like the product of being around all those like cool sound, the cool other bands, and when everything's kind of changing in a way. Um, so that goes and that dissipates, and then like. You're working on a on a new group, and you're just writing songs, which eventually becomes Sponge. But like during that that time when you're like just writing tunes, um, and was it was was were you writing tunes before you met the brothers and started recording in Michigan, or did that become did that be uh, happen because you met them and had an outlet to record them? Well, I came off the road with a band in nineteen. 19- 88 i think it was somewhere around there and um i came back to detroit and that's when i met the brothers they had a band called murder city and so we got a band together 
and then found Kenny the singer of Loud House and started this band Loud House. Because I think it was initially maybe Murder City for a minute. Then we're like, nah, we can't have Murder City. So we decided to call it Loud House. And that's when I met the brothers. And then when Kenny from Loud House left the band after that first record, you know, let me backtrack for a second. We were making a second Loud House record with Kenny when he left the band. And I think had we finished that record, it, it would have been a great record. And it was nearly completed. It was nearly mixed and it sounded fantastic. But Kenny left the band at that time. So the whole record was scrapped. And um, that's when we just started recording. And we were looking for a singer at that time too. But we could never find anybody that we liked, but we kept writing and recording. And I was singing on the, on the, uh, on the demos. And that's kind of how the, the sponge thing came about we just decided well let's stick with me singing and um get uh get a permanent drummer did you like did you have like any prior like i imagine like growing around growing up with music and guitars around and like singing kind of comes hand in hand you know what i mean like but it's always like the singer necessity. It's like them and the drummer. You're kind of killing it. You can do both. Uh, <laughs> are always the guys missing to make the good band. Um, but like, did singing like, it, did it come natural, or was this kind of like the process of you finding your voice? Well, unfortunately, nothing ever comes real natural for me. I think the writing thing was always something that, if anything, came more naturally to me it was writing and um i never expected or planned to be fronting a band but just because it, it worked writing wise and it worked making the demos you know it was just okay let's let's just start doing this now and uh, it seemed to work it seemed to be believable um everybody was uh pretty excited about the group and um yeah, we just took it from there. Do you think it's like one of the because it, it is it is a big left turn from Loud House, you know, musically. Um, I mean, the, there's the attitude. I think that's still there. That's kind of in Sponge, but because it was such a left turn, do you think that made it kind of easier just to like freeform write whatever, just like write tunes because there was no kind of like album to follow up per se. Well, there was never any restraint, and that was the thing about that moment in in music and that moment in time it was an incredibly cool free-for-all where bands could go you know what we don't need to be like la hair metal we don't need to be punk rock we can be anything we want and it was a great moment for music because you got bands like the Chili Peppers back in the day or Fishbone back in the day or Primus coming on the scene back in the day. And these guys were doing what they wanted and it didn't fit any mold. The difference was labels started to really go, we're going to start supporting this music. And these bands come away with major record deals. You know, we remember Nirvana being on Sub Pop or, um, and they, what, was a gap and they signed to or i think um primus signed to a major interscope and then um um the smashing pumpkins were on caroline from what i recall so and then they make a move to 
Virgin Records, I think it was. But it, it's like it was really a great time to do whatever you wanted. You could experiment and just kind of do your own thing. And labels were really getting it because I think people were ready for a change. So Sponge doing what it was doing, it wouldn't make any sense for us to do what Loud House was doing. We're like, we can, Loud House could do whatever it wanted to do. And we're going, Sponge can do whatever it wants to do. And we did. We did. We wrote exactly what we wanted to write. It was, because, no, that totally makes sense. And, like, it's interesting because coming kind of from, like, I mean, because you're, you're in a plethora of bands that all have very distinct styles. And, like, but it, it, in the end, it's a lot of it, it's, it's all coming through you to some degree, at least you know different uh, at least part of the writing for a lot of these uh projects and a lot of out like bands you work with so like that's what i mean like when it's one individual kind of i mean i know it's a band effort you know everyone puts in but like still you, you get a flavor of somebody through through multiple works and you you know their tone and their voice and like stuff carries over but it's such a big jump that's what's so cool about it and how you described it because of everything going on and how all these bands were just kind of free-for-alling, getting to do what they wanted and getting the backing to do that. That makes sense that each one of your endeavors would have such a unique sound. Yeah, that's a good point. It really just comes about or comes down to what do you want to do? Yeah. And you decide what you want to do. And it's usually based on the fact that you love what you do. And you just go do it. And at that time, it uh, it really seemed to work. It really seemed to resonate with people. And that was about it. I mean, we we weren't writing songs that were like songs on the radio. I mean, radio at that time, alternative rock music came out of, as far as I recall, college radio. We had a station here in Detroit, 89X, that went on air playing they were broadcasting like eight hours a day but they were playing jane's addiction and they were playing chili peppers and stuff like that so they were playing what um came to be this huge format called modern rock radio so i think it was this you know seismic shift in music taste and time and, and people were like it's 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 just a free-for-all and some of the like i said primus would Jerry was a race car driver when one's got a big brown beaver or Tommy the cat. Yeah. Like you wouldn't have heard this stuff on the radio because the radio for us back then was ACDC, Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin, Fleetwood Mac, Jay Giles, Ted Nugent, great music, you know, Metallica. But we're like, we don't have to be like any of that. And you're given the opportunity not to have to be like any of it. So to me, Plow didn't sound like anything that was on the radio at the time. And like, I agree, I agree. Um, I guess one thing that fascinates me too, and I've heard the story a few times, um, is the band, the name Sponge came from like, not enough letters on the marquee. But from a band that, that's name was kind of decided, I mean, I know that that name was flown around, but was settled on through chance. Um, through the years of playing, has that name developed any more meaning to you? No. No? Okay. Because, <laughs> like, I mean, when I when I first heard your guys' music and read the name, I'm like, a sponge, and I got really deep. I was like, okay, so they're like a band that absorbs all these different sounds, but 
remains the same. They are themselves, you know, <laughs> like, sure. I, like, I get oh. it. <laughs> but, uh, but that's the beauty of art. You take away, you know what you take away from it. Um, cool, 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 man. Uh, what was I going to say? And one thing too, like another, I guess. So after you're writing all these tunes, like the first album comes out, you guys take off, you get to do all this cool stuff. And then you're working on the second album and mm-hmm. the second album was supposed to be a concept record, right? Could very well have been a concept record. It was tough to to really um, support it with the songs that we had. I, I think had the label warmed up to something like that, real you know cozy, uh, it would have been something pursued hard. But um, at the end of the day, it comes down to what we want to write and. Our A and R guy Pablo Matheson totally supported the songs that we had delivered to the label, which is great. And the label accepted what we had turned in, and we we had toyed with the idea. I just don't think we naturally had the songs to back that up in a um, strong way. And it's there's no reason to sit there and go, you know, concept record many bands have done concept records and done great concept records i just don't think it it was our time for a concept record no it makes sense it's it's hard it's hard to like get a through concept and have each track hit you know eventually one's got to support the song like the narrative of the thing and that's you know that record label you know that's tough (laughs) yeah for sure and at the end of the day we're going what's the strongest songs yeah. So if a song that may have been supportive of a concept record was something that we would consider, but yet was not as strong as a song that maybe wasn't part of the concept record, we're still going for the, and I'm not talking radio strong songs. I'm just talking about strong songs. To me, radio songs are strong songs, but there's many radio songs that just are not strong. Yeah. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. They're strong songs, but yet not radio songs songs so you know to me they all got to be strong songs they all need to belong on the record and if we didn't have the strong songs to support a concept record i was willing to live with that yeah no that you you know when you especially following up a big album like that you really got to pick some moves like that and like it's it's tough it's tough to hit like a narrative thing and have all the aspects work perfectly you know correct yeah sure yeah like um, so in another like the jump ahead to this most recent record, which is fantastic, by the way. Like I loved, I loved diving into to your guys's career, or at least your career through all these different projects, and like hearing from beginning to end. Like Stitch is a, such a tight opener, man. Like this harmonies on that. Like oh, thank you. So with 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 diving into new works like this, is it still you kind of coming up with demos and sending it to the guys, or what's the process look like now? Well, you know, it, yeah, I mean, it, it is kind of like that. The songs like um, Dead Highway, um, Socially Distant, uh, Fits My Addiction, that stuff like, when I finally had some decent roughs of that, I, I shipped them off to Andy paddling. I'm like, start chiseling away on this and come up with some stuff. And... Um, 
that's one of those records that uh, was made during the pandemic but we because andy had a studio in his house and i got recording gear it was easy enough um for us to kind of bounce stuff back and forth with each other so um those songs were some of the first ones i could recall um and catastrophilia too that uh, you know get getting them far enough along at my place and then sending the files to andy was kind of what started to happen which is complete opposite like years ago with the band joey and mike would send me cassette tapes full of ideas and i would just it was a lot of fun i would just pick out the ideas that i thought uh resonated with me you know and i come to them once in a while with ideas but um yeah it's like uh these days it's me feeding the fellows of course i always welcome them to give me ideas uh whether it was uh, andy or kyle but uh on those particular tunes it was me sending stuff off to andy okay yeah because you know it's really interesting with like uh like someone who kind of fronts a band i mean you play all the instruments so it's you know it's a lot easier for you to write the music because you play but in the context where you wait and get ideas like it becomes like a different like mechanism for writing because you're really picking things and kind of mix matching them to like fit this thing you you make you know what i mean it's like a really uh, editorial process compared to like that kind of like puzzling it together all at once oh yeah well I mean, it was always a cool thing back in the day with the early band um joey and mike had a guitar riff and i wanted to start working with that and i had some verses written in a chorus perhaps we'd get together in the rehearsal studio and finish the song um which you know the second record was somewhat of a similar type of thing by the third record it was few and far between um working that process out so it just kind of boiled down to the process that we just talked about which is you know me having some ideas and giving them to the fellas do you do you enjoy that process like of having the thing sending it out and seeing what they send back or uh, yeah i i enjoy the process if i'm completely by myself or i enjoy a process if it's a, if it's all good stuff you know it's painful if it's not yeah yeah and it, it's uncomfortable if you're trying to work on an idea that you just go this is going nowhere and it's not going to go anywhere and we had those situations back in the old band where it's just like okay we're beating a dead horse with this song and typically the strongest songs win and if somebody wants a song on a record that's not a very strong song that's a tough thing to swallow you yeah. know and i just like it's that's like again beating a dead horse and i'm not into that at all if somebody doesn't like what i'm doing shoot me down please i just don't want to go through the embarrassment of having something that's not not our best stuff going on record even though it's my stuff <laughs> no and i think that i think that's a really good mindset to have because a lot of like when you're writing your own stuff or anything just writing or, or music or whatever creative endeavor it may be you get attached to that idea and trying to find that conclusion for it and like it seems like the best result is like just to keep going at it write something it's not good okay let me come back with something new and i think that's a hard thing for a lot of creatives to like kind of accept oh of course because their idea is like their little fluffy puppy you know <laughs> yeah and then go i'm nurturing this little puppy and it's going to be a great dog but uh 
little do they know the dog grows up to be not so great. It's not a show dog or whatever they expected. And it shits all over the floor <laughs> or it pisses on the bed. And you just go, no, no, you got to detach yourself from this little fluffy idea and let's move on. Maybe we'll get a better dog or different pet. It's, it sounds like, it sounds like this con like that, like that latched on from even at the beginning of our conversation with Loud House stuff that like, okay, it's not good. Next thing that seemed to really latch on quickly for you. To me, I, there's no other work. I try not to really get too personal with some of these songs. I mean, if I want to get personal with it and, and my ideas, I tend to go out and make a, my own record. That's where, you know, crud would possibly come from or, um, even my group, The Orbitsons, the songs that did not fit. I, I mean, I definitely had stuff written uh, for Sponge that did not fit Sponge. And at the time, um, um, Mike Cross would uh, have even said to me, he goes, this does not fit the band. And I go, that's fine. I didn't want to shove it down anybody's throat. And, um, you know, we would uh, work on other things. But that's why a band like Crud would happen or a group like the orbitsons would would happen so do you like what's your kind of do you have like a writing practice that you do like to keep like turning out stuff and like finding a home for it yeah i mean it, it's been difficult over the summer because we've been pretty busy but you know i love to sit down two or three times a week you know an hour to stretch a couple hours at a stretch if i can and just sit and wait <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah you just no. sitting there with a guitar man you know you just sit and wait and and that's the tough thing to do these days with social media and cell phones and all that stuff but really it, it entails just sitting and waiting and uh that's what i like to do that's the process so you know it, it really is no different than what it used to be it's just sitting there patiently waiting and sometimes uh the stuff shows up and sometimes it doesn't you go well didn't show up today yeah, but you showed up, and I think I, because like, I'm I'm fascinated with fascinated with everyone's process, and like, I because I, I kind of have a, a routine that's similar to what you described. I set aside a couple hours just to write. I got a guitar and a mic, a recorder on, demo sure. it, and like, uh, like I do actually I do what I'm doing right now. I'm in my car, <laughs> away from my work, so I can talk with you and be away, but with a guitar and yeah. just record stuff for hours in between gigs. And if there's something, there's something. But I think the important thing is that you show up. And, like, I'm honestly very inspired to hear that that's your process. Oh, of course. I mean, I show up, but I'm waiting for the uh, the other thing to show up. Yeah. There's always some, some other thing that shows up. I mean, I don't know where it comes from, but that's what I wait for to show up. I can't even tell you what the hell that is, but I wait for that to show up. And sometimes that shows up. <laughs> but that's that's awesome and i think that's in, critically important and like then that other aspect of knowing it's not good just wait for it again you know it's the the fishing philosophy i guess <laughs> like yeah and at the end of the day the song thing has always been the thing that's made it all possible and um that's why i i i can't neglect that for long yeah, I can't neglect the writing process for long because it's something that you practice. It's something that you do, and you can't. Uh, and some people, you know, they only write when they make an album. I go, well, more power to you. To me, it's it's really kind of a 
the more you do it, the better you get at it. And um, yeah, you just compile ideas. And it, uh, to me, it's a, out of anything, it gives me the most satisfaction. I definitely agree with that. And I think that's well said. Um, what I guess kind of like a, you mentioned like personal songs and Sponge. And on this new record, Sorry, Sorry felt like it was coming from a real personal place. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so there's one. There's one. <laughs> yeah, it, it certainly personal content, but some sometimes you got to remove yourself from a song, and you can't take the criticism personal. And that, I think that's just to clarify what I was talking about before. Sometimes people get so attached to the tunes, and it's like it's, they think it's such a great idea, but it's really not, and they take it personal when. Um, it's not ultimately finished and or recorded by the by a band or the band so yeah that that certainly is a different kind of personal thing but right uh sorry on a personal level is uh very personal <laughs> <laughs> on a lyrical level yeah 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 well diving through the, your narrative and i was like oh well, this, this new record is just as potent as every other and one more question with this with this new record, you guys re-recorded Plow, uh, Plowed. Is there a particular reason why? The label that paid us to make the record Cleopatra requested that we do that. And I've turned in different versions of Plowed. Like I go, you want a version of Plowed? I'm going to give you an acoustic slow down. Everybody wants a version that's kind of like a knockoff of the original. And they want that because it's a potential moneymaker, right? Mm. So that's it's a it's a kind of a business move but they they absolutely wanted it and that was a a term uh regarding making the new record and then financing the record so they just they wanted it in as so i go well i initially turned in a version like i said a slower version of uh plowed and acoustic version it's very pretty but they're like nope this is not what we want so i was like well i was like shit well Okay, I'll get back and record another one, and we did. Yeah. Okay, that like because I really like that version you guys did on that MTV program where it was like stripped down and you're playing drums. I thought that was a cool cut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been a long time since I've thought about that version, but sure, that kind of thing is always cool. Any kind of you know, big twist to me is uh, important. I think we did a version of plowed on we have this record called demoed in detroit that cleopatra released and uh, a version of molly as well but they're very different um versions than the versions that are on the roddy pinata record yeah yeah no they stood out like and i was like i wonder if this is but that that makes sense business wise why that would be the i you know whatever move like, but um the move on i guess move on from that bit there was the Bauhaus cover too. Yes, they wanted a cover song, and it, it's really to, it's the same nature. The discussion is this very same. similar nature, and that I'm sure they're hoping that. Um, what was the song that Alien Ant Farm covered? The Michael Jackson song, uh, "Smooth Criminal." They get like that type of. They, yeah, they wanted some kind of you know potentially career changing um, cover of somebody else's tune and then i just go i don't even i can't even fathom what that might if somebody came to me and said please cover this song and we'll pay to record it and i would go okay 
But if you're asking me, like, and you just say, record a cover tune, and then I go, what's going to make sense for me on a sponge record, or what do I love to listen to? What song would I love to cover? And there's a ton of songs I would love to cover for sure, but none probably make any commercial sense in the world. So I just go, well, this Baja song I love, I'm going to record that. And it seems very fitting for the record. So I go, boom, let's do it. That's awesome. Yeah, Baja, like, it's a weird, it's a weird line after listening to it. I was like, yeah, this makes sense for Sponge. Like, because Baja is like an anomaly of their own particular sound and place in the world. And like, did you, have you ever like toured or crossed paths with Dave and Jay and the, any of the Baja crew? Never. Never? No. That's never, man. It's like, you know, we've certainly done many gigs with some of the, you know, the architects of, you know, industrial or goth, or, you know, it's like Ministry to me was one of those bands that, yeah. you know, I'm, I don't pigeonhole anybody, but certainly somewhere in that wheelhouse is, there's got to be some kind of lineage between Bauhaus House and Ministry and Nine Inch Nails. And, you know, it's all, there's got to be some thread, right? So never Peter Murphy, you know, certainly I would love to do dates and hang out. And, but no, never met him. So was it David J? They just, he just did a new album with a, this group called the Night Crickets. It's him and the okay. drummer from, um, Violent Femmes and a, oh. a producer, Cat, who worked with them in the studio. His name's Darwin, and they got an incredible new record. I don't know if they're doing mm. dates, but for a band that hustles as hard as you guys do, I feel like you guys should be able to link up. <laughs> like, you um, know, anything that would make sense and excitement to me. It's just there seems to be a lot of punk bands out there on the road these days, uh, making a lot of racket, which I'm I'm happy to see, love to see it. And our 30th anniversary of riding pinatas next year. Yeah, uh, we want to definitely do something cool for that. We just got to come up with some idea. So. That would be that would be a sick tour. Um, yeah, that's all, uh, cool, man. One, I guess, um, man, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day and and being flexible. This means a lot. We're super excited for the gig at the Winchester with you guys. Um, a couple more questions, and I'll let you go. Uh, one one thing as a as a a songwriter who started on drums out of Detroit, which is very similar to the Iggy Pop story, which you guys ended up touring with Iggy Pop. Like, that had to be pretty epic as far as, like, uh, forerunners in, like, punk rock and music movements. Was there, like, a... How was that? Was that cool? Like, any, like, insight from the Iggy on tour? Well, I mean, it's like... Coming from Detroit, I was just a huge Iggy Pop fan. And um, being a part of that Roar Tour, which was a, just an incredibly diverse, sick lineup of like um, the Bloodhound Gang, was the first big tour Seven Dust ever did. It, Reverend Horton, he, Iggy Pop, like you couldn't have put together a crazier, more diverse, kick ass lineup. The problem was the tour was eventually, it, it, when it went on sale, it, it went on sale too late. We didn't have enough setup time for it. So the first group of days really like, 
you know, not well attended. And uh, Iggy uh, injured himself um, stage diving after the first couple of dates, you know. So he was, he dislocated his shoulder and uh, he was also, you know, pretty, pretty crabby guy at that time. And um, because of that, you know, he just was not a happy camper on that tour. So it was a, yeah, uh, uh, that sucks. But it's still cool to be that, have that, like, experience, even though, like, a rocky start. Did it pan out in the end of it? Oh, of course, yeah. yeah. We had many, many great dates, you know, and I wish I could tell you that, you know, I was in, uh, hanging out with Iggy or embraced um, by him. But I, I know that, he, and he talks, you know, he's brought this up in his, um, there was an interview that Anthony Bourdain did with him. I think it's in some new book that Iggy put out. They talk about that Roar tour, you know, and it's one of those things to where it's like, he, he mentioned that everybody was there to see something. He called it some band called Sponge. <laughs> and he actually wanted us to close the show, you know? And I'm like, nah, you're Iggy Pop, man. You got to close the show. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to close the show. Yeah. But um, yeah, he was just like kind of put, put back because uh he felt people went there to see him but you got to remember this is like pre stooges reunion so i know who the hell iggy is i revere iggy pop but that younger alternative rock audience is going well who the hell is iggy pop you know and a few years later when the stooges did the big reunion it was like a bomb going off it was it was the biggest thing and iggy's been on a roll ever since in my opinion, you know, where he yeah. was out on club dates and shit like that prior to this, you know, his career, in my opinion, just flourished after the Stooges re reunited. So, you know, I, I certainly wish I look back at the Roar Tour. I wish there was some kind of dialogue between Iggy and me, but there, there, there just wasn't. I think he felt more like uh, we were a threat at that time than a um, touring partner. Gotcha. Well, the, I I appreciate that answer more because it's honest. You know what I mean? Like Iggy's a guy. He's a guy who's gonna worry about stuff. And like, you're right. Like during that period before, like there was there was a lot of wild Iggy records. You know that maybe didn't hit the same way as the Stooges did. So that no, they certainly didn't. But that's what other people. I think the general audience might have thought. But I I certainly I was an Iggy fan all through the. 80s and all through the 90s man i love what iggy did and um i i i personally liked what he did better uh during his solo career than what uh he did with the stooges which is a weird thing because most people from detroit go you know the stooges could have done no wrong but i just think iggy came came into his self uh when he was doing his own thing it was just i, mean, I love his lyrics i love the songs he's written i just go the shit was great, and um, that's why maybe I'm an anomaly. Um, most folks would go, what happened to Iggy? It's like most folks go, what happened to Sponge after the first two records? Well, we've still been out there touring and making records. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. even though most folks thought we just disappeared off the face of the earth. Well, no, I definitely agree with you. It's like Free, Iggy, one of Iggy Pop's, like it was like his second last record, I thought. Even the latest one. Like, I think is he's at the top of his game. And he's got a way with, like, lyrics that are just simple and complex enough that you're like, 
it's right there. You know what I mean? It's it's like the Hank Williams of like of lyrics. It's simple, but when you try to write something that simple, you can't. You know. I mean, yeah. you can. Okay, I mean, we'll put I, it. Well, I'll say I. <laughs> no, I mean I. I agree with that. I think it was pretty clear what Iggy was doing because when Iggy was out making uh, music, doing live dates with um, the fellas from Queens of the Stone Age, it seemed to me that those performances were more Iggy solo career stuff. And this most recent record that Iggy did was more of a Stooges record. That free record was something like freeze, free from the the uh, constraints of this the old iggy pop and this most recent record it almost reminds me of a stooges album it def I, I agree with you with that it's got like that punk undertone it's got like that kind of blocky like friend yeah. well, like it was it frenzy frenzy is like such like a yeah rocking tune so I, I, agree I agree with yeah yeah that's well said um awesome man um i guess one more question and i'll i really appreciate your time Vinny. um so as a musician who's been through so many projects and has never stopped and as a guy who's looking at it, looking at that that path forward to to inch upon the same way um what some words of advice I guess like general rules of advice that you found that have helped you through the beginning of your career until until you, that you even find yourself lying upon today well that's really just one one thing right. and in this day and age with um tribute bands cover songs all that kind of stuff that's not why i ever started doing what i do and the only thing that's ever made whatever career i have is is writing songs and that barometer that i've had which is like do you love that song? Do you love writing what you do? That's all I got. That's all I know. I go by, do I dig what I'm doing? And that's it. Or do I dig the thing that we just recorded? Or do I dig the way the band's playing? That's all I know. It's a very simple thing. Do I love it? That's it. So I got to live and die by that because I can't sit here and try to scratch my head and go, well, what's my next interesting move that's going <laughs> to yeah. make this... I'm not that guy. If somebody else comes to me and tells me what to do, maybe I could get my brain wrapped around it, but I'm going to live and die by going. I just love, I got to love what I do. And that's my, that's my, I, I got to have that North star, so to speak. I got to go, what's my North star. That's it. That's shining stars. That, that, what do I love to do? That is basically it. And my, my advice to anybody is doing this. You got to rely on that. You got to rely on your, 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 love and your gut and and that's it that's all i got well i think that's well said and it's one of those things that's it, even though it's it seems like right on the money it's like you get so caught up in the works when you're working with a group or a label or a show or a production or there's so many other voices i think that's an important thing that you just said to keep in mind what moves you and the you know what i mean like there's so many times you're like i wish i was on stage now you're on stage you know, I mean, you're sweating about it. So I, I think that was really well said. And thank you, man. <laughs> well, Dave, it was great to talk to you. I appreciate your time. Thank you, man.
Yo, Spike Spiegel here. You just listened to Zig of the Gig podcast. Keep riding the bebop. See you, Space Cowboy. Bang.